Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, my name is John. I am the lead pastor around here. Appreciate you guys coming on out. Give us a little bit of time on this Sunday morning or whenever you happen to, you know, check in and watch this video. Um, today we are in week two of this series that we are calling Dear God. And over the course of the next couple of weeks, what we're going to be doing is just taking a look at the greatest tool that God has ever given to his people. And of course, we are talking about prayer. Now, last week, we, I kind of touched on this idea that within downtown Harbor Church, we have a group of people with varying degrees of experience with God, meaning we have some folks who have sort of been lifelong Christians, right? They kind of grew up in the church, just always been a part of their life. There are others of us who are newer to Christianity. Maybe it's, you know, a decade, five years, three years, two years, maybe even a couple of months. Then there are some of us who come to this church who really aren't Christians yet. You know, maybe we serve, we volunteer, but we're just, we're still checking things out. We're still sort of researching and, and examining the claims of Jesus. And that's, and that's, great to have such a, you know, wide, varying group of folks. And with that experience comes varying degrees of experience with prayer. There are some of us who are quite comfortable with prayer. There are others of us who perhaps approach prayer with a little bit more mm, anxiety. We don't really know what to say. We always feel like maybe we're tripping over ourselves, all that kind of a thing. Then there are others of us who perhaps avoid prayer like the plague. And, and my hope for this series is that wherever you kind of find yourself along that spectrum, that we will hear something that will begin to help us feel more confident and more comfortable in our prayer life. Now, one day, 2,000 years ago, the disciples, these 12 guys who followed Jesus around, these disciples who they themselves were Jewish, grew up going to the temple, were very familiar with the scriptures, the Old Testament, as we would call it, um, who also quite, you know, were very familiar with prayer. One day they heard Jesus pray, and there was something about the way that Jesus prayed that was different. You know, and it's hard for them to perhaps even put their finger on what that was, but they knew that what he was doing was different from what they were doing. And they said, Jesus, can you teach us to pray? I mean, we're watching you do it, and we want what you have. Can you teach us to pray? And Jesus says, yeah, I can do that. And he says, so get your pen, get your paper. When you pray, he said, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. This is what has now become known as the Lord's Prayer. It's perhaps one of the most famous, if not the most famous uh, prayer in the entire Bible. And from my mind, I think it's actually one of the best Christmas songs out there. Okay, now I have no idea how this became a Christmas song. I'm just glad that it lands itself on most Christmas albums. And I'm just gonna say this publicly. You can debate with me if you want. I think the best version is Barbara Streisand. Okay, that's just what we listened to in the Gripper household growing up. And it's just one of those songs. It's just, ooh, it's about as good as it gets. Um, anyway. So about this Lord's Prayer, last week we kind of looked at the Lord's Prayer to sort of help us learn more about the nature of prayer. And when we kind of took a 36,000 foot view of the Lord's Prayer, we learned that prayers can be brief, they can be simple, 
They can be plain, meaning they don't have to be overly emotional. And, and we can be confident in our prayers. We also learn that when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, you can handle it in a couple of different ways. Number one, you can recite the Lord's Prayer verbatim. And depending on your sort of Christian tradition, maybe if you grew up Catholic, you are more likely to have recited the, the um, Lord's Prayer word for word. But we've also learned that the Lord's Prayer was and can be a model for our own prayers, a, sort of a pattern in which we can follow. So what does that mean exactly? What, what does it mean to sort of use the Lord's Prayer as a model for our own prayer? Well, that's what I want to kind of look at today. Because what I think Jesus shows us in the Lord's Prayer is I think he's showing us that the Lord's Prayer contains what I'll call individual elements of prayer that we can begin to incorporate into our own prayer life. Now, should we be incorporating every element of the entire Lord's Prayer into every prayer? Well, you could. You certainly could. But based on what I'm seeing in the scripture, I don't, I don't think that's what we're being asked to do. I mean, when I look at Jesus's prayers, when I look at the other prayers in the New Testament, even in the Old Testament, you're just not seeing the entirety of the Lord's Prayer in all of its elements in every single prayer. And so rather what I think the Lord's Prayer can be for us is guidelines. It's a guideline for prayer. It's sort of like when you don't know what to say, here's what you can say. And so what I want to do today is I want to dissect the Lord's Prayer. I want to take a look at the individual elements. I want to pull it apart. I want to find out what they mean, what we can learn from them. Now, if you've heard sort of a, a, a sermon on the Lord's Prayer before, perhaps you've even heard a sermon series. A lot of pastors like to do one week on every single phrase. Um, I don't want to do that. I don't, and I don't think you want to do that either. It's just sometimes less is more, you know what I mean? So like what I want to do today is just hit a couple of things from each element, something that we can learn, that we can begin to integrate into our own life that will help us feel more comfortable and confident with our prayers. So to kick off, Jesus looked at his disciples and he goes, guys, look, here's the deal. When you pray, say, Father. You just, you start with Father. That's why this series is kind of called Dear God. A lot of us have learned to sort of say, Dear God or Dear Jesus or Dear Heavenly Father. But Jesus says, when you are talking to the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, you are to call him Father. And this is something that Christians are just very comfortable doing with. I mean, by and large, very comfortable doing with. We, we've been doing it for 2,000 years now. It's just one of these things that we do and we don't really think that much about, which means that we might actually take it for granted. We might actually take it for granted that we can call the God of the universe our Heavenly Father. Now, when it comes to this word Father, this idea of Father, there actually is quite a bit of debate quite a bit of back and forth dialogue with theologians, pastors about what exactly did Jesus mean or say when he used this word father. And the other sort of debate is this idea of calling God father. Was this invented by Jesus? Was this something brand new that Jesus sort of introduced to the world? And so what I want to do, just if you would give me three minutes of your time, I want to put on a little bit of a seminary class, if you will. And I want to break down this word father for you because I think it's important because I can pretty much bet that at some point, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, at some point in your past, you've probably heard a sermon uh, or at least a sermon point or a sermon illustration 
about this word that Jesus used um, to describe Father. Or perhaps you've read a devotional, or you will read a devotional about this word that Jesus used to, to describe Father. And I want to I wanna give you all the facts about this sort of debate that's going on behind the scenes that you might not be aware about. And then you can make a decision for yourself, sort of what you want to do with it. So the first thing that we have to realize is that when Jesus spoke these words and when Jesus told his disciples to say Father, he didn't speak English, right? So he didn't, he didn't actually say the word Father. The word that he used is a Hebrew word known as Abba, Abba Father. Abba, Abba is a Hebrew word that in the 1970s, a German theologian was doing a lot of work on, trying to find out, all right, this word Abba, Jesus uses a lot. In fact, every single time Jesus prays, other than one time, he uses his word Abba. So what is exactly does it mean? And he's kind of combing through scripture and he's doing his research. And this German theologian back around 1970 concluded that Abba doesn't mean father. Abba doesn't mean dad. Abba actually means something closer to daddy. And you've probably heard this before. And his theory was that when Jesus used this word Abba, daddy, he was alluding to sort of the very close, intimate, familial relationship that he, and we for that matter, have with God the Father, our daddy. Again, you've probably heard this before. There's just one problem. Theologians can't find any evidence to back this up. They've looked. Um, we can't, well, I say we, I'm not theologian. They can't find a single Hebrew document that alludes to any word that means dad. In fact, there's only one word, Abba, which means father. And so when Jesus used this word Abba, he was saying the word father. He didn't say daddy. Is it that big of a deal? Not really, but it's just a point of clarification. I just want to make sure you guys have all the facts when we're talking about this with other people. Now, also, I was talking about how there's this debate as to whether Jesus sort of invented this idea of calling God the Father. Is this something new that Jesus did? Would this have been a familiar concept to the Jewish people at the time? Well, it's not exactly accurate to say that Jesus invented this. Uh, in fact, God has always seen himself as the father to his people. There's an interesting piece of scripture found in the Old Testament in the book of Hosea. I want to read it to you. And this is God himself talking, and he is describing his role in this world. Check it out. He says this, Hosea 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him. I loved him as a son and brought him out of Egypt. I trained him from infancy. I taught him to walk, I held him in my arms, but he doesn't know or even care that it was I who raised him. See, what we see here is that we see a God who, who desires to have a personal relationship with human beings. But his children, they don't, they don't recognize him in that role. And so what Jesus does all throughout his ministry is he honors God in that role. He refers to God time and time and time again in a very personal way by calling him Abba, Father, the title that, that God truly wants 
to be known as. And when Jesus would use that sort of personal tone, this calling God Abba, it would drive the Jewish leaders crazy. You can go back and read it for yourself. They did not like it at all. But he invites us to do the very same thing. Paul describes this relationship that we have in Galatians 3.26. He says, for now, we are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and so when we call God Father, what we are doing is we are recognizing. We are recognizing that he trained us from infancy. He taught us to walk. When we call him Father, we are recognizing the fact that, that he held us in his arms, that he loves us, he cares for us, he keeps us safe, and he keeps our best interests in mind. And what Jesus does, he says that when you guys pray, remember, remember, that God is your Father. Prayer continues. He then says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. So this word hallow, um, I don't know about you, but it's not one that we generally go around saying too frequently, right? I'm not, I'm not going around dropping hallows, you know, too frequently during my week. But the best way to sort of understand this sort of archaic statement is, is that we are to honor sort of bring honor to God. And the best way to sort of incorporate bringing honor to God in our prayers is simply to praise him, right? It's kind of like, you know, what do I know about God that I can honor him for? What, what, what about his character do I love? Um, what is God doing in this world that makes me glad to know him uh, as my father? So I don't know about your neighborhood, but since the quarantine, in my neighborhood, the birds have completely taken over. They, I, I've never heard birds sing like I have heard them sing in the last five weeks. In fact, if you listen closely on a lot of these messages, you will hear them. Uh, they're pretty quiet today. Um, you will just, you will hear them in the background. It's just, it's quite amazing. So last Saturday, I think it was, yeah, Saturday, I was sitting out in my back and it was a gorgeous day. It was a very nice day. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go relax for once and I'm going to go read and just enjoy the sunshine and, and like the cool kind of breeze, even though it was warm. And as I'm out there, this mockingbird lands about 15 feet from me. Now, the reason I know it's a mockingbird is because I Googled it. All right? I'm not some kind of ornithologist that just knows birds, other than like seagulls and pigeons. I can point those out pretty well. But this mockingbird sits next to me and he starts to sing. Now, here's the thing about mockingbirds, because they're all over Fort Lauderdale. You've probably heard them. Mockingbirds don't just chirp. This bird had, from what I counted, because I counted it, had about 12 to 15 different um, calls, songs, whatever you want to call it, 12 to 15 different calls that he would just weave in and out nonstop for about five minutes. And as I'm kind of listening to this bird sing, it reminded me of Jesus' teaching on worry. Remember what he said? He said, when you worry, look at the birds of the air. And I'm sitting out back, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, it's the middle of the quarantine, but the weather is gorgeous. The sun is shining. This bird is literally serenading just me. And in that moment, I thank God for that bird. I mean, I really did. I just praised God for that bird and that just really beautiful song that it was singing to me. Now listen, 
okay, before you start laughing. I mean, I'm no Francis of Assisi, okay? I'm not out there in the garden with birds kind of picking up the, the edges of my robe. If I keep feeding them, that might happen. I mean, that might be really neat. But like, it was just a really nice moment. You know what I mean? It was just like, a, it was a nice moment that I just sort of had. And what I think Jesus is teaching us in this prayer, I think he's teaching us to pause in life and to consider why we worship God. In that moment, for me, it was what God does in nature. But for you in your prayer life, it's like, all right, um, what is it about today? What is it about my marriage or my family or my job? Or what is it about the vacation that I'm on or, or the food that's before me? What are the things in your life, from the bird outside your window singing to the health that you enjoy, that you can praise God for? What can you say thank you for to God? Think about it this way. Human relationships, right? Isn't this true? Human relationships grow deeper because of appreciation. Isn't it true that we don't want our parents or our spouses or our children or coworker friends, like we don't want them to think that we take them for granted. We want to show them appreciation for who they are, what they do in this world, what they do for us. Same goes for God. Part of growing and, and deepening your relationship with him is saying thank you for the blessings in your life. Say, say, saying thank you for who he is, what he's doing in this world, and above all, for, for who he is as a God. Next, Jesus asks us to pray, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. So let me ask you a question. Um, do you pray for God's kingdom to come? I mean, let's be honest. Do we even know what that even means? Nobody knows. No, people know. Here, let me kind of walk you through what this means. Um, in the New Testament, there is a lot of talk about God's kingdom. There's a lot of talk about the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom. These are synonymous, all talking about the same thing. Jesus speaks a ton about God's kingdom and the kingdom of heaven. He does it a lot in the Sermon on the Mount. And what's interesting about when Jesus talks about God's kingdom, is he speaks about it as though it is already here, but at other times he talks about how it's not here yet. So it's kind of like it's an already but not yet relationship that we have with God's kingdom. So what does it mean when Jesus asks us to, to pray, your kingdom come? Now there are many interpretations about what this means, and, and many of them are all valid. I'll just say that the one that I was taught, I firmly believe to be the most approachable, okay? Most approachable. So let me, let me walk you through my interpretation, and it might help you do this in your own prayer life. Um, take a look at this phrase, your kingdom come. Just look at it. From a logical standpoint, what do we learn? It, well, it says, your kingdom come, which means that your kingdom is not here yet. We're, we're praying for your kingdom to come here. So what does the kingdom look like? How, how do we know when it gets here, right? If we're praying for it to come, how are we going to know when it gets here? What is that going to look like, okay? So there's a, um, an interesting piece of scripture that comes in the very end of the Bible in the book of Revelations when the author John has a revelation or a vision of the end of the world. And, and this particular end of the world scenario is not fire and brimstone and things exploding and all that kind of stuff. It's when God makes everything perfect. It's the conclusion of his plan for this world. And here's what John says, Revelations 21 too. And I saw the holy city, 
That's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of heaven. I saw the kingdom of God, the new Jerusalem, as he calls it, coming down from God out of heaven. He, in this moment, is literally witnessing God's kingdom come. He continues. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. God's kingdom has come, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Since the Garden of Eden, God has always wanted to live amongst his people face to face. And when the world is over, when the plan is concluded, that will finally happen when God's kingdom comes to this earth. And when God's kingdom finally comes, I think this is what we're praying for. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All of these things are gone forever. And in the Lord's Prayer, what I think Jesus is asking is, do you want this now? Because you can have some of this now. I mean, are, are you actively praying for evil to end? Are you actively praying for sorrow to end, for crying to end, for pain to end, for, for, for peace to enter into this world? Are you praying for that? How do we do that practically? Because I think some of us are doing it. I think now we can become more intentional about it. Well, the first thing we can do is we can pray for God's kingdom to come for those we love. And this could look any number of ways, but one of the ways that comes to my mind that I've seen in my own life is, you know, sometimes you might have a loved one who's sick. Their health is in decline. And I think we pray for God's kingdom to come in the form of healing. We ask God, can you heal this person? Heal them of their sickness. Make this go away. And many, many, many times, God answers that prayer and our loved one is healed. But sometimes healing this side of heaven is not God's will. And as much as we pray, what's so interesting is that at some point, the Holy Spirit begins to work inside of us and our prayers change, don't they? And all of a sudden we find ourselves, as we watch our loved one beginning to decline and and suffer, we find ourselves saying, Lord, would you take my loved one into your kingdom? And when he does, I, I think, again, the Holy Spirit changes our prayers, and, and we start saying, Lord, would your kingdom come in the form of wiping our tears away? Would your kingdom come in the form of, of just tending to the sadness in our heart now that our loved one is with you? So what are the areas in your life? And in your family, where God's kingdom needs to come. There's another way we could do this. We, could, we can pray for God's kingdom to come for the world. So I don't know if you've sort of looked out the window recently, but it's not a good scene out there. Okay, It's not, it's not like what I would call a great place at the moment. And so what would it look like for God's kingdom to come in the form of him ending the coronavirus? What would it look like for God's kingdom to come in the form of peace in the Middle East, for the end of war, for poverty to be ended, for for hate and terrorism, for God to work in these areas and end these things, for his kingdom to come and move powerfully. All of these areas are things that we could and should be praying for. And then lastly, I think we can pray for God's kingdom to come into our struggles. I think what Jesus is inviting us to do in the Lord's Prayer is to daily ask the question, where do I want to see change in my life? Where do I want to see sort of sin overthrown in my life? What would it look like 
for every single one of us, every single day, to ask, where does God's kingdom need to come into my life? Next, we are instructed by Jesus to pray that for God to give us each day our daily bread. So last week, if you remember, we talked about how the Lord's Prayer, kind of step back, is a, uh, it's a plain prayer, meaning it, it is not an overly emotional prayer. And this is evidenced by the fact that he instructs us to just pray for your daily food, right? That we are to be praying for ordinary things. And what I think is so great about this is that it shows us that we don't need to be ashamed. We don't need to be reluctant to ask for our ordinary needs and wants. I mean, think about life. I mean, we need food. We need drink. We need clothing. We need housing. We need work. We need income. We need a vacation. We need leisure. We, we, these are all things that we need. And I think Jesus is inviting us to bring our needs and wants to God. Why? Because he's generous. He is a generous father. Look at how Paul describes God. Paul, in this, what I'm going to show you, is writing a letter to a very young pastor named Timothy. And he's talking about this. And he says, Timothy, God richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. And I love that Paul used this word enjoyment because it really speaks to God's character. God, and Jesus for that matter, they don't think it's virtuous to deny ourselves of food or drink or sleep or health. I don't know how we got that notion, but that, that is not sort of a, something that God and Jesus espouse. But what we see actually is that God readily gives us what we need and more for our enjoyment. He just wants us to be thankful. Now, last week I joked about how I pray for haircuts and how I pray for parking spots, but the reality is I really do pray for all those things. Because I think what Jesus invites us to do is bring to God all of our needs, all of our wants, and all of our desires. Now, don't misunderstand, okay? This doesn't mean that God's going to give you everything that you ask for, okay? Just like you parents out there, you love your children, but you don't give them everything they ask for. But still, we are commanded, we are challenged to bring all of our needs, wants, and desires to Heavenly Father. And if it's in his will, he will gladly, gladly give it to us. Now, let's not get carried away with our own needs. Because remember, this he talks about praying for our daily bread. Okay, this is an inclusive prayer. It's, it's not all about me. So I think it's wise for us to ask, all right, in my day-to-day -day prayer life, um, am I also praying for the needs of others? Because I think if we're honest and we sort of examine our prayers, I would say 90% of our prayers are pretty much all about us. I mean, if you were to take all your prayers over the course of a day or a week or a year and you put them into an Excel spreadsheet, I think you might find that the overwhelming percentage of your prayer life is dedicated to you. And that's just part of being human. But I mean, I think we need to ask, are we praying for our spouses? Are we praying for our parents? Are we praying for our kids? Are, are you praying for your cousin Mike who needs a job? Are you praying for your coworker Karen whose, whose kid needs a, a scholarship for college? I mean, let's not forget that Jesus said that the second greatest commandment is that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. So here's a really tough question. Are we putting equal prayer time into our neighbors' lives as we are?
Probably not, right? I mean, we're, that's, we're probably not doing that. That's okay. This is not to make us feel bad. This is just to give us some direction for our prayer life. That next time when we go before the Lord in prayer, we want to just make sure that we begin to include other people in this world, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our lives. We want to make sure that we are including them in our prayers. Then Jesus kind of shifts directions a little bit. And he says, next what I want, to, I want you to do is I want you to ask God to forgive us our sins. So basically, just as we are to daily ask God to supply us food, we want to daily sort of seek his forgiveness um, and, and sort of make plain our failures. And I think this is an important thing to do. I think it's a good reminder because, yes, God is our Father, right? This is true. God is our Father. But he's also God Almighty. And I think it's important for us not to sort of forget our place as sinners. Now, it is because that we know that God is eager to receive us as we are, as sinners, that we can come to God, whatever we're doing in our life, whatever's going on, we can come to him just as we are. Now, isn't this true of human relationships as well? I mean, isn't it true that the closer the relationship, the easier it is to be open and honest, um, that the better the marriage, the, the happier the home, the closer the friendship, the freer we feel to open up about the sort of junk and gunk in our life. For example, my wife, like most of your spouses if you're married, my wife, other than God, knows me best. Right? She, she, I, I, can be, I can be honest and I can be open because she already knows my weaknesses, she has already forgiven my weaknesses, and she loves me anyway. Now, unlike God, my wife judges me. No, I'm kidding. She doesn't judge me. Uh, okay, but every single day, the Lord Jesus is inviting us to come openly and honestly to God and to deal with the junk. Get it out of there. Lord, I messed up. Lord, I'm struggling. Lord, I, I need forgiveness in this area in my life. But Jesus didn't stop there. He kind of looks at his disciples and he goes, all right, guys, now re repeat after me. You ready? ready? Okay, repeat after me. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. What's that? Did you say everybody? Yeah, everybody. Oh, gosh, everybody. I mean, Jesus, I was with you up until this point, but I don't, I don't know, I don't forgive every single person. This is what Jesus wants. Jesus wants us to forgive every single person in our life. In the Sermon on the Mount, when he teaches the Lord's Prayer a second time, he ups the ante on the forgiveness. Thing. Take a look what he says there. He says, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Now, this is one of those lines, I, you know, we breeze past, I mean, I breeze past it. You know, I would just, I read it and I go, mm, next, you know, I don't think much about it. But when I was in seminary, my one professor was kind of teaching us about the Lord's Prayer. And he said, guys, you see this word as here? Got it highlighted here in the blue. He goes, this word as here actually means in the manner in which. And so what Jesus said was that, and forgive us our sins in the manner in which we have forgiven those who sin 
against us. When I thought about it like that, I was scared. I mean, th th that was a sobering thought to think that we are praying to God to forgive us in the manner in which we forgive other people. That completely scared me. That rocked my world when I saw that. In fact, and this is not, I'm not making this up. When I would go to a church that would make us recite this prayer, when it came to this line, I'd go silent. When it, when it would come to this line, I, I, would not, I would not utter these words. It was like, listen, if you want to pray that to God, that's your funeral. Okay? But I am not going to ask God to, like, to judge me based on the way that I'm judging other people or to forgive me based on the way, okay? Because it dawned on me. Asking for forgiveness is far easier than showing it. Now, the truth is I don't think God is actually up there using our forgiveness as a standard for forgiveness. Um, otherwise, he wouldn't have sent Jesus to die on the cross. But what I think Jesus is doing here in this moment is he's reminding us. He's reminding us that our ability, right, our ability to have a direct line of communication with God, our ability to call the God of this universe our Father, is because God forgave us. And all Jesus is doing is asking that we extend that same grace and mercy and forgiveness to the other people in our lives. Jesus is saying, look, if, if you're going to ask for forgiveness, you got to be willing to dish that out as well. I mean, imagine how different our world would be if we just got this right. So Lord's Prayer ends up, he wraps it up by saying, and lead us not into temptation, because we can find it all by ourselves, right? I didn't say that. And lead us not into temptation. What does this mean? Here's what I think it means. It means that when we pray, that when we go before God in prayer, that we have decided to not sin against God. That, that prayer isn't about just getting forgiveness so that we can empty out our sin bucket, so to speak, just to go back out that day and refill that sin bucket, right? This is not a rinse and repeat, get forgiveness, and then go refill. I don't think that's what this is about. I think that quite honestly might even make Jesus sick, that notion. What I think Jesus is driving at here is, I think he wants us to be aware of the particular battle lines in our lives. And those battle lines, those struggles are different for every single one of us, but I think each day he wants us to kind of go before God and say, look, God, today, my intention is to not sin against you. That's my intention. I I'm not looking to get forgiveness just so I can go out and do it again. That would be an insult to what Jesus did on the cross. Um, so Lord, would you help me? Would you help me in my fight against gossip or pride or envy or, or anger? Lord, you know my struggles. Would you just protect me from these temptations? See, 2,000 years ago, these disciples heard Jesus pray. They saw something different. They asked us, Jesus, would, would you teach us to pray just like that? And he gave them an 11-second it was short, it was simple, it was plain, but it was confident. And when you begin to peel back the layers of this prayer, it will lead you to a rich conversation with your Heavenly Father. So, what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time watching Downtown Harbor Church, every single week we put this word on the screen. 
because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and just know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So this week, um, I was thinking about prayer, and I think at times, no, no, no matter how long you've been a Christian, I think at times prayer is a struggle for all of us. I think it really is. Um, it's a moment in your day when it's just you and God. And, and I think our prayers begin to reveal a lot about our spiritual life, kind of what we're wrestling around with internally. And this week as I was going through the Lord's Prayer and I was looking at the, the individual elements, so to speak, of the Lord's Prayer, phase by phase, it became clear that there are some aspects, some elements of the Lord's Prayer that I don't struggle with at all. Smooth sailing, not an issue. Um, there are other elements that I struggle with. And then there are other elements still that I completely ignore. I, I just, it's just the reality of the, of the situation. And so this week what I want you to do is I, I want you to wrestle around with this question. With which elements of the Lord's Prayer do you most struggle? Now, let's not be mistaken. This might look like an easy question. This is a huge, massive question because this question can cause you to examine your entire spiritual life. That is why the Lord's Prayer is so powerful, even though it's so simple. So maybe for you, maybe at a macro level, the question might be, do you struggle to even acknowledge God? I mean, is that sort of when you begin, to, is it even just acknowledging that God exists or, or maybe is it, uh, do you struggle with the idea of calling him father? And maybe for you, you just had such a bad experience with your earthly father that, that even the concept of a dad is a stumbling block. Maybe for you, um, do you struggle with thankfulness? Have you become so beaten down by the day to day that it's just, it's difficult for you to praise God? for who he is and for what he's doing in your life? Do, do you find it hard to be thankful for the blessings in your life? I mean, has something ha gone on in your life where you have become blind even to the blessings that you enjoy from God? Or how about this one? Do you struggle with self-centeredness? I mean, can't this be said of all of us? I mean, honestly, I mean, if we really look at our prayers, are they starting to look like shopping lists of just I need this, I need this, I want this. I mean, is that sort of what our prayers have looked like? Have we missed Jesus' challenge to, to allow our needs, our wants, and our desires to drive us to pray for other people, to, to, to drive us to ask God to care for our friends, to care for our family, to care for our neighbors, and to even bless our enemies. So this week, my challenge for every single one of us is that whatever those struggles are, bring them to God. See, the, the Lord's Prayer, it not only guides us in our prayer, I think it reveals something about our lives. And your Heavenly Father invites you every single day to bring those struggles to Him. Let those struggles that you've uncovered because of this prayer, let those struggles guide your prayer. And in doing so, you will glorify God. Let me pray. Dear Father, I want to thank you for what you are doing in this world. 
I want to thank you, God, for the technology that you have provided, that we can still have church, we can still learn about you, we can still worship you from the comfort and safety of our home. God, I want to pray for every single person in this world, but specifically, I want to pray for people in downtown Harvard Church, that you would keep them safe, that you would lead them, that you would guide them, that you would bless them. That this week, Lord, you might challenge them in ways that they can begin to expand how they communicate with you. I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would give them more comfortability in their prayer, that you would allow them to feel more confidence to speak to you, their Heavenly Father, their Abba. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he did in his cross. Thank you, Lord, that because of him, we can speak directly. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name.